The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday night edition of the pod. Finally going to get to that long-awaited finish of the 15 and 60. We weren't able to do that yesterday with the big news of the Griffin trade. But also got some news to get to as well here. Sponsored today by Sherry's Berries and Pro Flowers. Berries.com promo code CAPSPACE will get you 20% off a perfectly paired gift with both Sherry's Berries and Pro Flowers Beautiful Blooms. Let's start with this Kevin Love hand injury as the Cavaliers were waxed again in detroit today a left hand x-ray revealed a non-displaced fracture of his fifth metacarpal so that's his pinky finger basically uh he will not be back for quite some time looking like about six to eight weeks that he'll be out yeah <laughs> for for cleveland the the hits just keep on coming for them right now they do, and this makes a lot of different things more complicated. I mean, we don't know if they were as gung if they are as gung ho about trading Kevin Love as you were in the in the mock deadline, but that it's not impossible, but it's substantially less likely because the team that would theoretically be acquiring Love wouldn't be getting much value for him this regular season. You know, six to eight week timeline puts him towards the end of the regular season, and incidentally, the team where that matters less to than most is Cleveland because Cleveland should be playing long after that and so they can integrate and integrating him they already know what he is so if they're going to keep him i don't it certainly changes the lineups they're going to try luke and now go in some different directions but if they were considering moving him it changes the conversations whether or not it changes the destiny is different yeah and for me it's going to be very very interesting to see what they look like without kevin love on the floor this also actually which we'll get to about them as well that looks like this uh george hill trade is moving towards towards uh being dead we thought that was going to get consummated it hasn't yet we've got some news on why that's been the case but love when he's on the floor 111 defensive rating below worse in the league levels and the Cavs in fact after this loss to Detroit took over worse in the league certainly not having him out there wasn't a panacea for the defense against a Detroit team that was missing the guys they traded and hasn't got Blake Griffin yet and still you know putting out a lineup that should be one of the worst offenses in basketball and they gave up a buck 25 to those guys tonight but still they are four points per 100 better with love off the floor presumably tristan thompson is going to start now though uh, lou actually went with channing fry to close the game at center and lou definitely has shown a predilection for going all offense at the end of games and i don't really think although i've always thought fry was underrated playing him instead of thompson and big surprise they couldn't stop anybody there but yeah i think this really matters more from the potential trade standpoint 
the good news about this unlike his knee surgery last year is you can assume that once he's back he's back you know a, a left pinky finger fracture is a lot different and, and then the knee surgery that he had last year where there's a question about whether he, he would be whole by the end of the year at least you can assume he's going to be back um but yeah i do think that it reduces his value because i think love has the most value in a trade to a team that's trying to make the playoffs this year that's kind of on the fringes that's why in the mock trade deadline we traded him to detroit <laughs> uh and obviously that happened instead with blake griffin but love you know is probably not a guy who because of his defensive limitations who really helps that much at the absolute highest levels in the finals against a team like golden state or houston uh, but he certainly is a great player to get you from 35 to 45 wins you know something along those lines so a team that would be acquiring him he's only got one year left on his contract after this one not a ton of value if you're just acquiring him in part to get into the playoffs this year and also depending on how much those teams want to game it if lebron leaves i don't see cleveland falling head over heels with keeping love around long term and so you're sitting there going well why should we get him now if we can get him later and maybe you could say that the asking price is actually going to be lower right now because cleveland getting guys that they trust more well that they think could be a part of their playoff rotation with lebron there is something different but you could see it the other way too and so i think there will be some some brinksmanship by by the GMs that are still interested in Kevin Love basically saying hey well we, we can be patient with this because there aren't going to be that many teams with cap space and if it's not involving cap space then with one year and then a player option left Cleveland might see it differently yeah, it's not inconceivable that Love could opt into that player option although 2019 is expected to be a more lucrative market than this one but you know we, we trust that those guys generally make the right decisions and if he does opt in it's because likely he, he's underperformed at that point so Cleveland right now will do their little ditty on the 15 and 60 here uh right now they are 29 and 23 and 7 over their last 10 since we last did a 15 and 60 0.0 net rating uh they have the fifth ranked offense and the 28th ranked defense that's per uh, cleaning the glass they are ranked last per nba.com because they've gotten killed in some blows and their playoff odds are actually down to 97 percent uh they obviously were considered to be much higher for that that still is third in the eastern conference but they're projected at 47 and 35 right now um and right now they're a half game ahead of the miami heat for the three seed yeah and they at least have uh, the heat or another team as we'll talk about that is massively outperformed their point differential and so the Cavs, the Cavs and heat have been uh along with the spurs probably the three best clutch teams in the league this year to so outperform their point differential so i I think the chances of them missing the playoffs are, are pretty low the pistons help themselves a little bit with this win today and maybe they'll catch fire with Blake Griffin now who knows but it seems unlikely and the Hornets had a rough loss last night to the Pacers in a game we'll talk about in those two team sections and the Knicks are, are kind of out of it too so I think that they'll be fine for the playoffs but yeah it might be nice to have home court advantage at least and the further along we go here the more it seems like they really you know are just gonna struggle to turn things around I mean it's gonna they'll be better than they've been but I'm not sure if you can assume that they're gonna be much more than a 500 team going forward and it seems like with them nine games over 500 you know maybe that's where they end this year uh nine games over 500 which would basically be you know 45 46 wins that also has just massive effects for how the rest of the eastern conference teams including the ones at the very very top think of themselves because getting on the opposite side of the bracket with cleveland even if it looks like they're weaker than they were before i mean that's just an it's close to an imperative i mean though being the two versus being the one for everything else 
matters much less than getting on the opposite side of Cleveland. And right now, it looks like the Raptors and Celtics, at least for, for what we know right now, are going to be close. So will that matter for them? Will it matter for some of the other teams in, in this mix? It'll take some time. I think that these kinds of things aren't as concerning for Cleveland in the playoffs. There are other structural concerns, not being able to defend anybody. Yes, absolutely. Th- those are definitely problems. And so they have some big decisions to make. This changes those decisions, but the issues are still exactly the same. Yeah, this being uh, the love injury. Yes. Uh, and also worth noting, by the way, uh, just because people will remember that he actually broke his hand twice in Minnesota. That actually was his right hand. This is his left. So there's no kind of issue of, oh, is this a recurring injury? I, I don't think there's a, a concern there. But certainly for the Cavs, uh, they're going to need more from the big positions, I think, at this point. Um, you know, although it's going to be Fry and Thompson, and then they've got Ante Zizic. They could certainly use another big. The good news is the buyout market should provide plenty of opportunities to go get another big and one who could be a solid rotation player for them even the george hill trade it's interesting brian windhorse was talked about this on a couple of podcasts recently the way the trade was initially reported was george hill who's due about 19 million next year going to the Cavs, and the kings would get back fry who's now in their rotation uh and then iman Shumpert, who's not in the rotation has struggled to come back from knee surgery and that would save the kings about nine million or so in guaranteed money next year but that would also mean that the cavaliers would have to take on about two million extra in salary for this year which is certainly you know when you're in the repeater tax the way they are is a pretty penny and then the the other issues there are two of them was all right what is the draft pick compensation going to be to get hill actually there's, there's three issues apparently another is that hill has had some recurrence of his toe issues recently and since he never had surgery on that toe it seemed like a chronic condition that doesn't surprise me that the medical report on that might not be great and then the last part of it apparently was that the Cavs asked george hill a la taiwan lawson to make more of his contract non-guaranteed for next year and understandably Hill uh, not too interested in doing that so it sounds like there are a lot of issues now with this deal getting done and it may just not happen it also has a dynamic shift with Avery Bradley now being a part of the Clippers we don't know how the Clippers are going to approach that because you wouldn't want both of those guys so maybe those conversations you know you think about those as being more desirable because Avery Bradley is a better player right now than George Hill is especially with the toe issues and also oh, and by the way let me before sure. I forget let me interrupt you here uh we screwed up a couple of things on last night's episode actually i screwed up a couple of things on last night's episode number one bradley could return to the celtics where he bought out but could not be traded back there it's still uh, within another one yes yeah and then uh, another one was that we, we were saying the pistons for next year would have seven million dollars under the luxury tax i was using an old calculation when the cap was projected to be higher uh for my luxury tax projection for next year it looks like it's going to be more like four and a half million below the luxury tax for the pistons next year so we, we got it correct uh when we screwed that up and I, I re-listened to it and i was like oh yeah that's not right so a uh, couple a couple of things we just wanted to clean up there but uh please please return to your point i just wanted to make sure we didn't forget that yeah always always important for us to do and so bradley i think is the negotiations are different you're talking to a different team and then kcp i don't know how that's going at all whether rich paul has has leaned on the lakers as i as many of us think that he should because it's in the best interest of his client and those conversations as the George Hill thing gets more complicated as it gets less desirable if they have to give up better draft compensation. I think they only want one of those three guys. So you 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 go in that direction and maybe they thought George Hill was the most available. I I still think in many ways 
he is. And then also now Channing Fry is a part of the rotation. And also the the other downside for them of the deal, because it wasn't, you know, I mean, some some money is Channing Fry is really their only expiring contract. So if you use him as a facilitator in that deal, there are a lot of other things that get functionally taken off the table. And I could understand why they're not ready to do that yet. Yeah, I, I completely understand that uh, as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about their woes in January. We all know how bad the defense is. You noted that they're not fouling at all. And uh, part of that is just because LeBron James and Kevin Love have always been really good at not fouling in their careers. But part of that is because they're not trying and they're like not even in position to follow these guys and they're just not giving it enough of an effort. I think it's more really the latter, frankly. Uh, you know, I mean, Lo- Love and James definitely that's been an underrated part of their defense throughout their careers and they've been on decent defenses, but that clearly is no longer the case now. And those guys, not exactly at the top of the effort chain. I mean, LeBron's help defense other than in that game against the Warriors this month has been absolutely atrocious. And I mean, there's one play against the Pistons where they had Corver and Fry in together. Not no idea how you're going to stop anybody and Isaiah too right so this is like lose always when he's down all right we got to go to the all offense lineups so that starts to give you a window into how do you give up a buck 25 to those piston teams and so Anthony Tolliver catches the ball at the three-point line guarded by Corver straight right hand drive blows past Cal Corver not even really much of a shot fake and then just goes right to the basket and lays it in as Fry just was unable to provide any resistance whatsoever and like when Anthony Tolliver who might be one of the worst finishing power forwards at, at the rim in the nba and maybe one of the worst power forwards off the dribble in the nba as well is just rolling right in from the three-point line in like crunch time of a game and laying the ball in with no resistance i mean that's just like a perfect encapsulation of what this defense is at this point the other point that you wanted to get into and we, you and i talked about this offline early in the day and i think is important to get into is what cleveland has been struggling to do offensively and a big part of that has actually been lebron james yeah lebron lots of press uh for the fact that his jump shot had returned this season he found it later in last season and obviously did it in the 2016 playoffs as well and uh, up until the start of january had been shooting over 40 percent either near a career high or career high. i think it was at 40 percent one year in miami well that's completely gone off the rails uh, uh in january on 4.1 attempts per game he's shooting only 22.6 percent from downtown and the rest of the team has been similarly horrendous except for love and corver love corver and fry jr smith 33 percent. that's almost an improvement for where he's been but isaiah he's taking six per game hitting only 27 percent uh in his 11 games in january jeff green had been hitting okay now he's at 21 percent january Dwayne wade big surprise 18 percent in january so as a team this is supposed to be a great three-point shooting team we worried a little bit about them early in the year because they just weren't getting the number of attempts uh they are shooting 32 percent on 33 attempts per game in the month of january and so uh, their overall plus minus for the month negative 6.8 and that's just incredible to have a negative 6.8 differential lebron james actually has a negative point differential for the first time in his career Uh, these numbers are just truly stunning uh, for the cavaliers and we'll see whether they can turn it around again i mean there's a lot of guys who need to play better on this team and and can play better uh, but a big part of why they've fallen off has not only been the defensive struggles, but the offensive struggles of guys like James. James is plus minus just on a game to game basis. This isn't a net rating, it was just raw plus minus, negative 7.8 per game in January. Yeah, I mean, and, and some of that is Isaiah. And he's also only averaging 23.5 points. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of it is Isaiah. 
I think that's I think that's a big part of it uh and James has certainly been known to pout when guys take bad shots and there's all this talk that every, you know Isaiah is taking too many bad shots and he he had a great point which was essentially like I'm Isaiah Thomas like what the fuck did you bring me for, here for uh if you didn't expect me to like shoot a lot that's what I do a different but way he, of he saying be, that Paul Pierce thing yeah yeah I mean he could be a little more judicious in his shot selection until he really feels like he's 100 percent though I, I think that that might be a good idea but now he's going to need to shoot more with love out anyway yeah he will and how they how they run the rotations now what and they should just try a bunch of stuff because really that that's what they have to gain in this is isaiah with the bench guys trying different starting fives all sorts of stuff and and try to get some shooting guard going because i mean jr had that one huge game i think that was against the pacers right he had that one crazy game and then other than that i mean this has just been just such a a disastrous year for him yeah and they are hamstrung because they do have to continue to get isaiah going they're not going to not start him lou said that's a non non starter to not start him (laughs) uh and they're playing him in crunch time and they've been playing their starters in crunch time which has not been an effective unit so i I think there's uh it's going to be tough because you'd think oh maybe if they wanted to go with tristan at center they could come up with a lineup they've got crowder Dwayne wade lebron jeff green uh, smith to some degree that could just switch everything but if you're going to play Isaiah, they probably want to play Kyle Korver. They're going to play Fry some. It makes it much more difficult to deploy that type of a lineup. But that might be their one chance at actually playing some defense on this team. Could be. A one little note, J.R. Smith's PER has gone all the way up to 7.8 from 7.2 over the weekend. <laughs> That's so good. All right. We got a lot of news to get to here still. This yet another trade that was reported as basically being done. And then now uh, at the one yard line, fumbled uh, again, not even involving Cleveland uh, this time. And, and so we'll have a lot to talk about that uh, with Nicole Miritich. John Wall is going to be out uh, for some time as well. We got to hit that. And then uh, we'll get to at least maybe not all of our remaining teams because uh, we got a lot to talk about as well. We might save a few um, for tomorrow night when we're doing a gamer, but uh, we'll, we'll get to quite a few of them. So uh, first though, i'm going to tell you all about a special order from two of our favorite sponsors sherry's berries and pro flowers they've actually teamed up to help you impress your valentine with their perfectly paired collection with sherry's berries you can think inside the box sometimes the tried and true is what your significant other really wants so you can get dipped strawberries from sherry's berries those are of course absolutely delicious they make sure that your berries stay cold and then you can also get flowers from pro flowers those things stay fresh really well they have all these instructions to you're supposed to cut the stems off a couple of times they have like this special food that goes into the water that helps to keep them fresh as well and they've always lasted really quite a long time whenever we've gotten them if you get one of those perfectly paired combinations you can save 20 percent on that or any other gift over 29 dollars. by the way if you're not into that particular one using that familiar promo code capspace that's the way to get 20 percent off a perfectly paired gift or anything else over 29 dollars. freshly dipped strawberries from sherry's berries beautiful blooms from pro flowers use that cap space code at berries.com that's b-e-r-r-i-e-s.com today enter that cap space code let them know that you came from us and please your valentine in the process let's get to this miritich trade now it was reported as a first round pick we don't know what vince goodwill first broke the news and then though there was not the usual chorus confirming the trade he said is he is going to be traded he did not say it was done casey johnson then reporting that they were very close but it was not done and then Woj came through to report exactly why it fell apart but the deal as it was reported initially was a first round pick from the pels omer ashik who after this year 
year is due about 11 million next year and then about the same the year after but it's only 3 million guaranteed so he's basically 14 million and essentially dead guaranteed money after this year and i usually don't count this year's salary amount in these calculations necessarily when we're talking about what's dead money at, at this point in time and then the, a first rounder presumably from the pals presumably uh, this year and another player from the pals just to help with their concerns with the hard cap it wouldn't have worked they would have been taking out a little bit more money with miritich and now the way it was spun is well nikola miritich scuttled the deal because he wasn't willing to agree to the trade but that's not really what scuttled the deal well yeah because we've talked about this before what makes miritich's situation so different is that he doesn't have a full veto he only has a veto if they want to maintain the the team option on the second year of his contract if they pick up the team option they can just trade him without his consent correct yeah because the way it works is if you're in a situation where you could be traded and lose your bird rights which he has bird rights with the bulls having re-signed with them he's been on that team continuously but he's only on what could be a, a one-year deal and so if he were to get traded to the pels and the pels then decline the team option he would lose his bird rights and uh, cba says no you can't do that to someone it's not fair to put a player in a situation where because he got traded he can't get paid as much as he would have been able to make had he not been traded unless he consents to the deal if they pick up the team option the bulls do before trading him but it's essentially the pels who are making the decision to say hey you know we want you to pick this up because we want him on the team then he's on the he's got a two-year contract he'd have early bird rights at the end of that even if he were traded and so he's eligible to be traded and so basically what this is and then uh, Scott Kushner of The Advocate in New Orleans reported this as well that the concern is that the Pels wouldn't have cap space this is what Kushner's report said I, I assume probably what he was told by the team wouldn't have cap space to re-sign to Marcus Cousins if they had Miritich on the books for next year but that again is really quite the canard to me. It is and it creates this awkward situation because there is a th- a theoretical circumstance where the Pelicans could decline the option and actually give Miritich more money should the sides agree to it, who he would of course become an unrestricted free agent so he could do whatever the heck he wants. They could do that and give him, using non-bird rights, they could give him more money over more years. However, they would be under no obligation to do so and making, a- a- and so he would bear all that risk. So it, it I yeah. can- un- And also he might want to just get paid more than the non-bird rights would allow sure. it to be 120 percent of his salary this year although that would probably be a decent decent haul for him but nonetheless yeah but yeah so so there is this kind of idea but he can't trust the pelicans on that because they have no there there's no they can't agree to that because that would to me that would violate the cba they can't say like right now sure. we'll decline your option we'll give you 30 million can't do that but you have all that and the pelicans it's weird to to, to think of it sure it's risky if he gets hurt or something like that which could always happen but that's still a reasonable contract for him so so if it comes to pass that DeMarcus Cousins comes back or whatever and they're pressing up against the pressing up against it and if they're hard capped next year it would be by choice it would be because they want to use their full mid-level or something like that then they can trade him however they want to do that they can make it work well and the reason was that to re-sign DeMarcus Cousins well that's the tax that they're right. concerned about right like they would have full bird rights on Cousins they would could still keep Miritich on the team worth noting by the way that if they don't make this trade then Omer Ashik would still 
still be on the team anyway making the same amount that Miritich would and he's much harder to trade than Miritich right I mean I think Miritich yeah okay he could get hurt or something and then having him on that team option wouldn't be good but you know you take that risk with any player that you would acquire really I mean the idea of and Miritich would be a great third big with Cousins and Davis who'd be an outstanding fit there giving them a a real stretch for to give those guys room to operate and and, you know that three-man big man rotation would probably be the the best in the league um and again you know if they really were in a situation where they couldn't get off any more money and they would have to pay the tax if they re-signed Cousins it's very likely that they would be able to trade Miritich so if you're gonna say hey this was a good deal for the Pels and I think it was a pretty good deal for the Pels if you say hey you know we have to get off of Omer Asik that's a goal we get someone who can really help us this year which is a goal and maybe really help them next year as well I don't see another way other than a trade like this that they could add anyone as good as Miritich for next year as well I mean Miritich has been awesome this year even when he doesn't shoot the three as well he really gets respected out there and his RPO numbers have always been fantastic he's not a great defender not a good defender but knows where to be and and has good hands and and has size can is good box out guy in the defensive glass so if you now I mean the wisdom of just trading yet another first round pick for the Pels we can argue that but if they're saying hey we want we got to get off of Ashik which is bad salary for next year and we want to get someone who can help us this year and next and especially you know they just have no other viable front court players right now other than AD I I thought you're not going to do any better than that and to scuttle the deal over this team option thing uh just seems like a crazy amount of fear and cheapness to me it's also really hard for them when you think about where the asset could be if they decide they have to move Ashik let's say that pressure is there next year Ashik and Ajinsa you know those those contracts are going to take take an asset to move I mean it's a different circumstance because of the timing relative to free agency but the Hawks took Houston's first round pick which they got from the Clippers for Jamal Crawford for about 13.2 I think is the number that's in my head million on Jamal Crawford and that was straight dead money because they started negotiating the buyout basically as they acquired him so that's as dead money as you can get it's spread over two years like Oshik's would probably be though theoretically the Bulls could stretch it over five which I actually think is a nice thing for them and so they got a late first round pick for that here they're getting a superior player and they're getting off this money in a year where I think the teams are going to have more leverage against them so it's a different type of thing but I I think it's a a reasonable return also that they would have to to make it work they would have to add in another salary that means depending on how the rest of it went they could they clear up in a roster spot I think it's a very it would have been a very good trade for them it's not a perfect one obviously and the protection on the pick is important and we never knew that that's just something that's not out there and won't be out there probably unless the deal gets agreed to but it accomplished so many goals at once that it makes giving up the first round pick more palatable this isn't just a salary dump it's a salary dump and an upgrade at the same time both of which i think you could argue would would have been worth a late first and i mean i would say two late firsts are worth what their first is going to be yeah i mean it's a little different from that houston deal uh, which because the houston pick was very likely to be you know in the bottom five they had already acquired chris paul by that point so that was i mean the clippers traded that houston pick but it was it was houston's pick obviously so that was very likely to be in the bottom five 
five of the first round this one for the pels they could even potentially not make the playoffs this year so that you know we're probably looking at a pick with an average value of around 15 to 17 so that's worth a a lot more Uh, but again you're getting an actual player who can play and it's a totally reasonable contract for next year why you would i mean the idea of not understanding that that could be an asset for next year regardless of whether he's on your team or whether you're trading him i mean unless there's just hey well there's the risk that like we could just get stuck with this guy and you know even if that's like a 20 percent chance that they're just not willing to forgo that uh, to me uh is certainly uh you know again an indictment of, of kind of where this organization is and we'll see you know maybe this deal gets rekindled maybe this is you know they're trying to put pressure on to include more bad salary in this to include a jinsa maybe as well uh, and the pels and bulls have already dealt with each other in one salary dump transaction this year with the, the pondexter trade so we'll see what ends up happening i'm it just it kind of has the feel of it's not going to happen again and, and especially with the way they tried to put it on miritich like oh yeah he's the one who scuttled the deal i thought that was just totally disingenuous we should probably get to john wall i mean this is now that we have a more specific part of the story he's going to be out at least six weeks going undergoing an arthroscopic it's debridement right at some point i'll yes. remember that it's debridement and they were able to win i i was surprised that because when when okc took the lead in the fourth quarter i'm like okay that's where this is going to go but they were able to eventually win that game against the thunder in dc and they're in a fight now because Saturansky started they're going to have to use their guard rotation a lot more a lot differently Beal's going to have a different role and the playoff chase in the east is you know it's not loaded it's not like oh my god you're going to need to win 48 games to get in but at this point there's six games over 500 wall's going to be out for much of the rest of the regular season if not close to the whole thing so they're going to be in for a fight yeah although again they're helped by the fact i mean the the pistons should be better in theory but uh, they have a substantial lead and i think this washington team is capable of playing 500 ball they look decent when wall missed nine games earlier in the season obviously over a longer period of time your depth begins to be stressed a little bit more also interesting just some of the reporting around this is that the wizards not really interested in giving up a first rounder for more temporary upgrades certainly that's something that they might try to do uh but you know mahin me just giving up a first round to get off of him is not realistic getting rid of jason smith maybe if you get a player that could start to be worth a first rounder but again they're kind of in this for the long haul they're thinking they want to get another pick that's at least the noise out of washington at this point there's been a lot of people reporting including brian windhorst saying that there just are not very many first round picks available now then this pels things ha- happened uh so it's not like that reporting is ironclad by any means but if we assume that there isn't a, a ton of help uh, on the way I think certainly they can kiss goodbye any chances of being a, a top four seed and so then it becomes really a question of you know can they be five and eh, probably not you know i think at least one of those teams is going to be good enough whether it's miami although they're they've got their own kind of issues uh in terms of maybe not being as good as their record or a number of the teams below them philly has looked really good lately as well depending on what happens of course with Embiid's health but yeah you'd have to say you know six seed seven seed they've already really been struggling before this and wall clearly wasn't right you know i mean that like this had to happen they've been playing him a ton of minutes this year big surprise uh but you know certainly his the one man fast break that he had provided in previous years clearly wasn't there i think john schumann had this stat that his 
fast break points per game uh just his own personal fast break points per game were down by you know like 40 percent or something this year and also the jump shot really had not been falling for him that's another thing that can be a big problem for you when you got bad knees this is yet another example of why you take the money when the money is on the table because he doesn't even start the extension the designated veteran extension next season that starts in 2019-20 runs all the way through 2022-23 he'll be making more than 40 million dollars a year on those years of his contract he'll be making less than 20 before then so if you can lock that up if it's on the table it's going to be really really hard to turn it down especially for guys who have an injury history and that includes another guy who went to kentucky but not at the same time as john wall sorry i missed your transition because i was looking up what their numbers are with beal and porter on the floor and no wall and not that great negative 5.9 net rating and the offense is uh pretty miserable you know bottom third of the league offense and without wall so but yeah where were you going with that i'm sorry i was just talking about how hard it is to turn down a designated veteran extension if it's offered to you because that that's oh yeah i mean john wall so i was tying it to ad is kind of the implicit thing that i was saying oh yeah well i mean that's true but ad is also just so much better of a player than john wall um and ad also won't be eligible to be offered it basically the like two years ahead of time uh for him you know he's to when he would in theory be a free agent he's got another guaranteed year on his contract but he has the player option so uh so it's it's not quite analogous but yeah i mean that's with these knee troubles that he's had you definitely have to wonder i mean of four years of that contract making 40 million a year and i think he'll be 28 when that kicks in yeah that could get very ugly very quickly and you know it's easy to say that washington had to do that especially because you know wall could leave they've had the first run of success in quite some time with wall at the controls and there's no guarantee that he would have made all nba this year in fact there's almost no chance that he would have now with the, this injury and the fact that he just hasn't been that good he probably wasn't even probably at least in my opinion an all-star in the eastern conference he made it of course but so he would not have qualified this year for the designated veteran and and then they would have been forced to either just give him a regular extension or just wait and see what happened when his contract expired and and he could maybe leave but you know given where he's at i mean he's gonna have to really you know he hasn't been worth 40 million dollars this year uh probably maybe he was worth it last year and he's only going to be getting older so that could end up being a a very very ugly contract and maybe more conservative was needed but although you of course understand why they made that contract offer and why he accepted it uh it's gonna end up pretty ugly i think you know very likely on a positive injury piece of news jabari parker and i like the way that this was announced was actually in quick succession him on the bucks broadcast he they were interviewing him and he said that he is going to make his return he's been cleared he's making his return on friday against the knicks and then of course the team tweeted out made a whole big deal about it it's great to see him back and having it be a week before the trade deadline I, i'm i'm not sure that i want to read anything into that but i'm sure some people will and the bucks getting a talent infusion beyond getting their change in coach is going to make them look substantially different i think going to be a positive for them though the adjustment time cannot be ignored no it can't and he certainly has had a ton of time and it seems like he's really been ready for a while he's been practicing with their g league team for well over a month now and it'd be great to see him back he's one of my favorite guys to see he'll be we'll watch him 
very close to me and the last time he came back from the acl surgery he looked just as bouncy as ever we can hope that that'll be the case as well this year another thing on the bucks by the way just because i did this research and i want it to go to waste a bit of a non sequitur but they're four and oh best net rating in the nba since prunty took over uh fifth in offense second in defense but they're basically making every jump shot they throw up there they're well over 40 percent on threes and opponents are at like 25 percent in threes uh, and you also consider that it's been a, against not exactly a murderer's row of opponents so certainly a lot of positive signs but you know to there's plenty of reason to think that their performance since it has been overstated and they're still giving up a fair amount of threes giving up a fair amount of shots at the rim fouling a fair amount defensively um and taking a fair amount of mid-rangers themselves which they're like making all of basically since uh prunty was hired um but since i did that research i figured i would relate it um what else we got here uh trevor reza is going to be out with a hamstring issue for at least another week as he said hamstrings are tricky that is very true <laughs> and it is not as severe as as the injury that James Harden had, but you do want to be really patient with it. And the Rockets are going to be playing for a whole lot more later on in the year than they are in February. So they have plenty of reason to be judicious about it. And while we're not going to cover that game, Harden's absolutely ridiculous night tonight. The first 60-point triple-double in NBA history, 60-10-11, I believe. And on the Orlando Magic, I believe that was the team that he had his previous career high against, which is kind of funny. And he he got <laughs> broke the franchise record on, an, on a four point play on Mario Hazonia was notable in a couple different ways but I feel like even though we're not going to cover that game maybe we do for the 15 and 60 depending on how that goes but I, I feel like we have to acknowledge it because it's it's history absolutely uh, another couple of things here and I haven't had a chance to watch the highlights of that yet so nothing else to, to contribute as of yet Mason Plumlee uh, a center going after his own missed free throw I guess Big Ben just shouldn't do that because he pulled his calf it looked pretty badly he actually had to be uh, helped off the floor couldn't put any weight on it at all um really seemed to pull that right calf pretty badly he did not travel with the nuggets to their heartbreaking loss in san antonio tonight and if i had to guess just based on how he looked i this is just me comparing it to other calf injuries that i've seen and how bad it looked right away i could guess that he would be out like three weeks to a month uh and he's also i think the second Plumlee brother to suffer a, a calf injury this year oh no actually i think it was last year that uh miles Plumley missed like basically the whole second half of the season uh, due to a calf injury and that injury is exacerbates the already thin nuggets front court not only due to paul Millsap being out but tyler lyden had knee surgery and he's out for four months so they're gonna have to scrounge for answers without those guys <laughs> lyden had played uh two minutes so far this season and, and had been assigned to the g league which is remarkable because the nuggets don't actually really have a g league team <laughs> they're just assigning i forget exactly where it was that he had been sent but yeah they actually started to Arthur today he, he was uh, exhumed as I like to say and brought Lyles off the bench again uh, they closed the game with Tory Craig at the four uh, for large portions uh, Wilson Chandler is also struggling with injuries uh, one other thing injury related Rondé Hollis Jefferson uh, suffered a groin injury he's going to be out at least a, a few games the Nets always very conservative when it comes to return uh, from injury and then all-star replacements Paul George will take the place of DeMarcus Cousins in the West uh, Andre Drummond taking the place of wall in the east and then we'll find out who the replacement for love will be likely tomorrow i'm guessing that that will be kemba walker basically adam silver is generally just taking whoever was next in the coaches voting that could be a little unfair uh you know it's without regard to position but the coaches voting is with regard to position so maybe that's a little 
unfair the only other plausible candidate i don't think he is particularly plausible in comparison to walker would be ben simmons yeah i i guess and there could be uh something to that considering chris paul but chris paul also could have been lower in the voting i think he deserved it over paul george i mean he's been the third best guard oh, in the sure. western conference and kemba you know they're they're loaded with point guards and i think he deserved to make it over some of the guys who made it in but i can see why their vote would get distributed more there than the comparatively weak front court especially center spot depending on how they structured the coach but i think it was just front court yeah i think simmons was actually listed as a guard in addition to walker so that that may not be an issue between those two guys specifically um all right let's do a little 15 and 60 we're already 45 minutes in here so we'll probably maybe only get to like three or four of these teams but where i wanted to start and we already did cleveland obviously where, where i wanted to start is with the Hornets and Pacers, I watched that game last night. We'll start start from the Hornets' perspective. They are twenty and twenty nine, five and six since their last fifteen and sixty. Negative zero point one net rating. That's sixteenth in the NBA. Much better than that twenty and twenty nine record. They have the eighteenth ranked offense. A little bit of a disappointment. They've been uh, on the slide there. Uh, and twelfth in defense. They've actually been improving a little bit defensively. Only eighteen percent chance at the playoffs per our friends at, at five thirty eight. And that offensive rating would be a lot better if they could just play Kemba Walker 48 minutes yeah, these stats are slightly outdated but I don't think they changed a whole lot though the bench did play better in that Pacers game but they their effective field goal percentage with Kemba because they're tied for they were tied for last over the weekend their 51.8 percent with him would be 19th and their 44 percent effective field goal percentage without him which is just unsightly like that I, I can't even remember just in some of my yeah, weird the, the league like, average is like 50 51 percent right field goal percentage these days. yeah I mean so their true shooting which includes free throws is lower than that with without Kawhi, it's at four it's about 49 percent. so they've been just disastrous we've talked about this in in so many different ways over the course of over the course of the season but it is worth talking about and to their credit in this game the bench actually did pretty well the uh, michael carter williams was actually plus one until there was a little bit of a bench run for the a bench slash starter run for the pacers before he came out and then that's what really kind of went straight into the starter run that ended the game yeah, and I, I don't think that uh, Carter Williams, this wasn't a huge effect on his plus minus in the game, but they actually played Carter Williams like a, a few minutes with Kemba Walker. Mm-hmm. Just no idea why anyone would ever want to do that. Uh, and Carter Williams has been a little bit more aggressive shooting the three ball this year. And I, I thought he looked okay doing that when Charlotte was in Golden State, just watching him in warmups. But his shooting around the rim is atrocious, doesn't provide what you're looking for defensively. I mean, just, you know, he continues to shoot like 30% from the field this year uh and i mean he's been so bad that i think it would just make more sense to take him out and just use i mean because it's not like they're running any pick and rolls with carter williams like maybe he'll bring the ball up every once in a while but generally he's just being told to go stand in the corner and then the other team doesn't guard him so if you're not actually using him to fulfill any of the point guard responsibilities and you just have a guy out there why not just go with more uh, of lamb uh, or batum as, as the main ball handler and just you know put in malik monk or play travion graham a lot more uh that kind of thing just to get more regular wings out there because carter williams isn't providing much at all and they had other bench issues in this game one of the dynamics that's important to discuss is that due to turner making his way back from his elbow issue they've been the pacers have been judicious with him which i think is a good idea and because saponis has done pretty well in his stead so miles turner and starting caliber center when at full strength was playing against charlotte's backups primarily and he wrecked them 
happened. Yeah, you know, although I would say actually he probably did more of his damage when he just happened to be matched up against Howard, who coincidentally never leaves the paint. We're going to intermingle Pacers and Charlotte here because we're, we're talking about this game. But Turner had 22 points. He was 8 of 11 from the field. All eight of his makes were jump shots. He was 4 of 6 from 3. I don't even think he that I saw that he took a shot uh, inside of jump shot range. I think he had one like floater from the free throw line, which was actually uh, pretty impressive. But he had the three ball working and any kind of pick and pop, any kind of a spot up for him, Howard just uh, was powerless to leave the lane. And then on the few occasions where... Howard actually did stick to him off the ball then we saw him not move to help at all and you know there was one play where Darren Collison just rejected a screen and drove right in from the left side for a layup and Howard was standing at the free throw line uh, guarding Turner and just never moved you know there are a lot of a lot of plays like that so Turner really caused problems for Dwight Howard although Howard had his own nice post-up game he had 18 points in the first half that was ineffective in the second half uh and then I mean it just it, it must have just hurt though for Charlotte to see Frank Kaminsky who they drafted number nine when Turner went 11 to see Kaminsky go for uh one of seven from the field and it's just it's amazing to me like how many wide open threes he looks he misses like he just seems to be he's shooting like you know low 30s again this year from three he was supposed to be this great three-point shooter that's why he got drafted and just he's open all the time and just the ball he provides some benefit because he's just a white guy and teams guard him out there but he just seems to miss uh, this is anecdotal but he just seems to miss so many open threes one of the elements of this game that surprised me early on was how Dwight Howard and Sabonis were getting pretty good shots on each other. There were a couple plays. There was one where Sabonis, as Dwight knew, was going to his left hand and just, just nailed the ball off the backboard. But for the most part, I thought they each got a little bit of separation in the post and were able to get baskets. Yeah, uh, Howard, uh, Turner definitely has a high center of gravity. He's pretty light in the shorts. Uh, Sabonis is really more power forward size, uh, just even in terms of his strength as well as a young guy. And so Howard uh, was able to be really effective especially in the first half in the second half i don't think he scored actually after he had this one beautiful spin move on the baseline on sabonis and then victor oladipo came over and just rejected him it was awesome like for a, one of the best blocks you'll ever see from a 6-4 guard um for charlotte i i thought and for howard this is true for a lot of postal players and particularly for howard especially as you know he's had these back problems kevin McHale talked about this with him when he was i think he had gone to Atlanta by that point but Mikhail was saying hey basically that because of his struggles with his lower back in particular that he doesn't have the explosion and the strength to really knock people backwards in the post anymore but when you're going against Sabonis and you're going against Turner you're able to and so Howard if he rolls across the lane is that last bump going to knock him backwards where it's going to be a tough finish or is he going to knock the other guy backward and it was usually the latter in this game that's how he was able to score as well as he did the other thing I liked from Charlotte was that they played Nick Batum some without Kemba Walker uh, to close the third when they actually had a, a nice stretch and then to start the fourth uh, they took Batum out and, and put Travion Graham in and but that wasn't the stretch that killed him it was really uh pretty close to tied uh that unit in fact the charlotte second unit really was out hustling indiana uh, on the offensive glasses they had a nice run uh to get back into the game and then the, the pacers closed it out in pretty good fashion once uh victor oladipo returned one other charlotte thing that we definitely have to talk about is that was the game when marvin williams had to leave with a sprained ankle he it looks like he might be he's definitely already been ruled out for the for their next game and that's a concern because they just don't have that many replacements even like for for him that can space for him. i mean i'm sure they 
wish Frank Kaminsky could be, but they're going to have to figure that out. And I think that was also part of the the rotational issues they had in that third quarter and second half more broadly. Yeah, and Williams, you know, when he was in there, I mean, at the start of the third quarter, for example, he basically just like never gets a touch unless he's open. He's open to shoot. I mean, he's really every once in a while he'll go up to try to set a screen and do a pick and pop or or slip the screen, which he's one of the best in the league at. But generally, he's he's just asked to stand out at the three point line. He's actually made his threes in very efficient fashion this year. It's been a bounce back season for him from beyond the arc. Uh, But yeah, they are definitely going to miss him because that's going to mean Kaminsky likely in the starting lineup. Cody Zeller is getting close, so he'll at least be able to play uh, backup center. They want to play Kaminsky and Johnny O'Brien together uh, on the second unit. Um, I continue to be impressed by Travion Graham's effort. His effort was a big part of that nice little run they had at the start of the fourth quarter. Um, But we could turn now a little bit more uh, to the Pacers just while noting that this is a pretty big loss for the Hornets. One of the teams that they're chasing, they're in this game, but uh, couldn't close it out late. And they they really needed this one if they're going to try and get back into playoff contention. And it was always going to be a long shot, but this is the type of game that they had to win if that were going to happen. And uh, they're now nine games under 500. Similarly, that makes it a big game for the Pacers. I'll give you their fundamentals now because we'll transition a little bit. They're 27 and 23, 7 and 4 since the last 15 and 60, plus 1.3 net rating puts them 11th. They're 6th in offense, 19th in defense, and have 530 gives them an 80% chance of making the playoffs right now. That still is just absolutely remarkable that they have the 6th ranked offense in the NBA. And they've started to fall off just a little bit in terms of their three-point shooting. Oladipo is down to 37% above the break, he's, but he's still near 40% because he's on fire in his few looks from the corner. The center rotation was interesting in this one, bringing Turner off the bench, as you mentioned, but they brought him in with about four minutes gone by in the third. He'd had already had a big first half. I mentioned how good he was in pick and pop and spacing the floor, scoring against Howard. And they at least avoided in the second half, I, I forget whether that we saw this combo in the first half, of Al Jefferson and TJ Leaf together, which was a combo that killed them in that game against Portland on the road. So Leaf played a little bit next to Sabonis, which is uh, an interesting looking combination of kind of short-armed, power forward-sized guys who have some skill. But uh, And Lance Stevenson had this awesome highlight in the first half where he got a steal and did this like wax-on, wax-off move as he came down the lane and then threw a, a no-look to Leaf for a layup. So staying away from Jefferson and Leaf together, I think it was pretty useful. Um, Victor Oladipo just continues to really impress. And I think one of the things that I've liked about him is he's not a guy in a lot of these games who is like really hunting his shot that much you know they'll run a lot of pick and roll a lot of dho stuff for him coming out of the corner but he's had a lot of games where he's seven for 11 he was 11 out of 15 in this one where he just and they'll get to the foul line a little bit he'll hit some threes and so he's getting close to 20 points or over 20 points but just not taking that many shots in a lot of these games his efficiency has been very impressive in oladipo's last 10 games he's only gone over 20 shot attempts four times and when he's the highest you know he's the the linchpin of their offense and he can score well with the ball in his hands but they've been successful offensively i think i think that's been a, a nice double for him to do had some good assist games as well and you know he's he's proven to be a, a, a more varied part of a successful offense some of that is that they have all these guys that can hit shots but his contribution to it is absolutely essential yeah oladipo almost 60 percent true shooting this season darren collison continues to play well also and there is a little bit of an interesting decision for mcmillan i thought he went with the right approach in this one obviously as they had that big run i think it was 19 to 5 to basically put the game away in the fourth but he's kind of got his defensive unit where he can go with Corey joseph and stevenson next
next to Oladipo and then Thad Young and either Turner or Sabonis at center they closed this one with Turner because he was really running hot or they can go with Collison and they can go with, with Boyan to get more offense on the floor Boyan by the way he's like in Marvin Williams land as well they basically never give him the ball unless he's getting a touch I don't think he got a single touch uh, other than just like one time when he caught it and tried a right-handed drive like the first five minutes of the third quarter as so I was kind of tracking it a little bit uh but so that's going to be interesting I mean they did Joseph did a nice job on Walker down the stretch I think that's why they wanted to go with Walker even though Collison was having a nice game and Batum had been hot so maybe that's why they went with Stevenson but that's that's always an interesting choice for McMillan at the end of game anything else on the Pacers do you want to move on to someone else uh well uh, our boy Thaddeus Young had another really nice defensive game mm-hmm. I thought just his he plays really hard he gets a lot of, of his hands on a lot of balls he gets a, a lot of steals maybe we've just happened to see the games where he's played particularly well but especially when he's guarding someone who you don't really need to guard that much of the three-point line he can really be effective as a help side defender on the backside of pick and roll so i've liked what i've seen from young um and i still think he's a very valuable defense player um I mean, he doesn't really help their defense rebounding problems that much but you know if they had a better defense rebounding center core maybe that wouldn't and guard core maybe it wouldn't be as much of an issue all right why don't we do one more team here before we call it quits who is a good one here oh let's do the raptors uh, since we we watched uh, their game today uh, against uh minnesota we'll start with the basics the raptors are 34 and 15 7 and 5 since the last 15 and 60 third in net rating fourth in offense identical fourth in defense and we know they're making the playoffs that's not a big deal and the game against minnesota i mean so well but before we start there sure. uh, worth noting that they have uh, that seven and five is more of a struggle than it's been they had a little bit of a road trip uh also just to have struggled to score a little bit more they had a, a game against utah where they couldn't really put the ball in the basket uh and they've had a few of their worst offensive games lately so that's something to monitor um uh, but i expect them to snap out of the, the funk uh but just worth noting why it is that they've fallen off a little bit lately something we've been tracking for pretty much the whole year is that DeRozan already i mean we're 50 games into the season has already attempted the second most threes in his career and before tonight he was one of six he was at uh, 34.2% which is you know it's not unbelievable but it's enough to keep teams honest but what's worth remembering about that is because he plays so many minutes that's a lot more than he's been shooting before but it's 4.5 threes per 100 possessions so it helps and as if defenders take him seriously out there it helps but it's not like he's become this high volume guy sometimes we focus a lot on a guy going from zero to little more than a guy who goes from middle to a lot and sometimes that can be more important yeah well it's just a question of when he doesn't have the ball does he need to be guarded out there right and that's to me it's the biggest thing he took a, a corner three that he missed late in this game although they had a, a nice run to close things out against the wolves um we'll, we'll save that other set that you have uh, maybe for the end here but a, a few notes on this one I, you watched more in the first half I, I really locked in in the second I thought one of the most interesting things was the way they handled pick and roll defense uh, if in the second half they trapped Andrew Wiggins forcing him into a pretty miserable night he got pick sixed by Norman Powell in the fourth quarter he was seven out of 22 overall by the way Carl Towns only seven shots in this game Wiggins 22 uh this isn't the wolf section but uh something to monitor there that we've been monitoring um and just uh, I continue to experience great joy in watching this Raptors second unit guys like Wright Siakam Powell back 
back in it now he provides a lot of energy as well Pirtle uh had three putbacks in the first five minutes of the fourth quarter as well he was outstanding i thought defensively too uh he did a nice job rotating to pick and pop shooters in the fourth quarter uh Gorgie jang actually had a nice game shooting the ball but in the fourth he, he got shut down by Pirtle. and then outside of those traps defensively they put Valanciunas back in at the end he actually guarded Taj Gibson and then they put Serge Ibaka on Carl Towns I thought Ibaka did a really nice job in individual defense against Towns in this one one of the significant elements early in the game which ended up becoming relevant later on was Norman Powell played more than anticipated because OG and Anobi picked up two quick fouls and so he did pretty well in those early minutes yeah. and so that led to him being a more reliable part of the rotation he ended up getting 20 minutes and finishing yeah og's been getting the keith bogans a lot lately yeah and i think he deserves better than that but he wasn't he wasn't great when he was in in this game to me i mean he had a couple of plays where i thought he did a nice job on jimmy but you're not this wasn't as much like i was sitting there after the game they played against the Cavs. you're like oh man this guy you know this guy's centerpiece all that kind of stuff and also part of that was just picking up so he got, he only ended up playing 16 minutes and part of that was less effective some of that was picking up four fouls in those 16 minutes so their closing lineup was very interesting uh, fred van Vliet has been getting a lot of time in closing lineups so they had Van Vliet guarding Jeff Teague they put Kyle Lowry who's an absolute bulldog but obviously giving up a lot of size on Andrew Wiggins and then they had DeRozan actually guarding Jimmy Butler and DeRozan didn't do incredibly terribly against Butler now of course and Jim Peterson was going wild about this on the Minnesota broadcast that the Wolves just have no spacing and they have to get more three-point shooting on the floor and blah blah blah. Uh, so there was plenty of help behind DeRozan one time he forced butler into an air ball in an iso and then the trapping worked great too because again they don't have the spacing to spread them out uh, on the back side um and then van vliet had a couple of he's just really good at getting into the lane and just you know adding a little bit of tempo to the offense even just straight up one-on-one against he, he wouldn't necessarily drive in for a layup but he's able to get into the lane just get the defense moving start off the possession get them some nice stuff as time went on throughout the possession um and he was someone who i really questioned them using him defensively at the end of games and i still wonder about all right is this guy really going to be able to hold up if lebron james is coming at him in a pick and roll using him as the role man but that guy plays way above his size he is tough he fights when he gets posted up it really does an excellent job smart guy gets a fair amount of steals so i i'm willing to admit that i had him wrong as far as his defense i still wonder if it's going to work for him at the highest levels given how undersized he is and how limited he's going to be as a help defender if they're going to play these absolutely tiny units like they did in this one Uh, but he gets more out of his talent defensively than you know the vast majority of players in the league and an example of that was they're up four they're pressuring the crap out of the wolves the wolves take like 15 seconds to get into a shot and which was a big problem because the wolves needed to get a two for one and they couldn't even do it so andrew wiggins finally takes a three misses it and van fleet has carl towns on his back not only does he box out carl towns but he gets so low that he actually pushes towns back and is able to prevent him from even getting a hand on the rebound it's really just an incredible play for a guy giving up at least a foot if not more uh and that's just an example of the type of play that he regularly makes you talked about it a little bit earlier but it bears repeating that i've heartily enjoyed beyond just watching the raptors this year and the second unit all that is that Dwayne casey is willing to try different closing lineups based on what he thinks is going to work against that opponent there is a little bit of a risk with when you do it based on the hot 
hand. But if you have a kind of an idea on what they were doing with Valanchunas on Taj Gibson, helped them with their rebounding and a couple other things, I, I thought that made some sense. And they didn't get killed with the the perimeter guys that they had out there. So you know, some of that is, of course, sick, you know, results over process. But I thought the process of saying like, hey, we're gonna go with the guys that are the guys that fit this matchup and are playing well. I'm more okay with that than just being like, hey, our bench is kicking ass. We're gonna play them to close the game anyway. Yeah, and it's also an advantage to just have their main guys who are getting up there a little bit. Some of them, uh, like Ibaka and Lowry, not have to play that many minutes and can come in and close the game out fresh. And Ibaka, in particular, looked really fresh in defending Towns in the last few minutes of the game. Actually, I guess we do have to do another team because I never did our second read yet. <laughs> and that read is courtesy of our friends at Draft. It's daily fantasy basketball, but not like the other guys because it's a snake draft. We did one of those. It was pretty fun, actually, wasn't it, Danny? Doing that uh, that all star draft. A lot of people said that uh, that was pretty fun, and so you could actually have the fun of doing that uh, pretty much every night yourself uh, with draft. You have a much better chance of winning with draft without being one of these absolutely crazy guys with all these spreadsheets and submitting hundreds of lineups because you can't really do that uh, on draft because each draft takes a, a few minutes and you don't know exactly how it's going to go, so you can't just submit your lineup uh, ahead of time. They don't take that long, two to three minutes uh, or so, uh, and then it's a great way to just root for your guys and watch the games wednesday actually tomorrow is usually one of the bigger game nights in the league great to do it on a wednesday because there are so many teams that are playing that night if there are a few last minute injuries they'll take care of that for you as well and it's just one day so you don't have to constantly be checking it at work the next day during the, the season there's no waiver wire like oh gotta make sure i beat that one jackass in your league who's always like getting his waiver claim in first and drafts is really accessible they start from just one dollar so there's a, a draft for everyone what do you get started with them you can download the app just search draft in the app store or you can play on your computer from draft.com and if you use my promo code capspace you can get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit that's right you play a real money game for free using my promo code capspace once again that's promo code capspace at draft in the app store or on draft.com use that capspace code let them know that you came from us so i think we can close out here and this might be an extended talk on the orlando magic and there's season is so depressing at 14 and 35 two and seven they actually did have a one nice win at boston since we last checked in on them uh their negative 5.5 net rating is 27th uh but they've really struggled a lot in the clutch as well i think they're something along the lines of like six and 30 in their last 36 games something like that um oh actually i can answer that they are six and 31 <laughs> in their last 37 games 20th ranked offense i'm actually surprised that it's that high and the defense still as it has been since time immemorial basically since Dwight Howard left you know bottom five defense in the NBA do you remember I, I remember 29th. because I watched the game I, I looked it up to make sure who their other win was against in this time because it's it's amazing too Cleveland Minnesota no they almost beat Cleveland yeah they beat oh yeah that's right yeah they Minnesota, beat Minnesota just, by six just... and then they they almost beat the Cavs two days later and then they beat Boston two days after or three days after that and then they lost all the rest of their games. So uh, there's oh. been a lot of noise uh, of late <laughs> with with uh, Orlando. Hopefully I didn't drown out that sigh too much uh, for the listeners since I was talking at the same time that you made it. But a, a lot of talk lately about how as bad as they've been, the current front office does not have any particular affinity for any of these players, none of whom they brought in. They were not active, particularly this offseason, just bringing in John Simmons and Shelvin Mack with their big acquisitions. So Aaron Gordon is going to be 
be a restricted free agent his star has dimmed since uh, that great start to the year but has been shooting it pretty well not sure how real that is you know i think you probably if i had to eyeball it given where it, that he hasn't really improved much on long twos you know i'd say he's maybe going to be a 35 percent type of three-point shooter but he's been getting the volume up there uh, this season uh, still well above that this year but had been well below that uh, in previous years so i just wanted to talk about the situation uh, with him generally uh, for the magic i think he could be available potentially uh, because depending on what they think his next contract is going to be so uh, the two questions are number one why don't we start with this i mean uh, what do you think his next contract ends up being uh given the fact that it'll be a restricted free agent there are of course limited suitors uh, this year in free agency i'm definitely uh, surprise surprise less confident that he will be the apple of some team's eye in terms of getting a max contract offer that was one idea that was out there and a part of that is also just the not only the supply in terms of number of teams but also the supply in terms of who those teams are chicago I don't expect to be in the derby for him, especially when you consider Lowry Markkinen is already in the rotation. Indiana might. I think that would be interesting. That would just be a very different direction. I guess they would be buying their own ability to get a point guard some other way. Maybe they keep Darren Collins in for another year. They go in that direction. But there isn't really that clear cut, oh, this team is going to pay him. So I don't know, something something with a starting salary, maybe around, not, not a full max, but maybe around $18 million. But I could see it being less than that because all it's going to take is one or two teams not prioritizing him for that number to drop down a lot yeah it, it all it's a lot of high risk high reward right i mean you could get him for a pretty decent number there's always it could be one of those ones that goes way into october or maybe you get him for 16 million a year or something like that or 17 um or some team just says hey we're gonna go max for him i mean if, if they if Otto porter got a max last year granted in a little bit different of a cap environment but you saw brooklyn make that offer i think also a team maybe there are more offers out there for him because it's seems like all right you know we don't know what the magic really think of him he's they weren't able to agree on an extension and maybe there's a thought that if we offer enough they'd be willing to let him go and he's also extremely young still you know i mean he was one of the younger guys that we've ever seen come in during the one and done era so you know we could be talking about i mean i don't think he signs for less than 17 million a year uh or we could be talking about that or we could be talking about you know something in the 20s or whatever so if that's the type of contract range that we're talking about he might be a value at 17 he's probably not a value at 22 or 23 what would it take uh, so so let's say you know you had aaron gordon on that kind of a deal over the next four years because this is kind of way to think about it because that's you're trading away what he's going to be on his next contract if you had him what would you take back uh in a trade to to move on from him on that type of a contract because that's kind of the way to think about it here that's an interesting question because gordon as you said young player i believe next year will be his age 23 season and he will actually be age 23 for that entire year but he doesn't really fulfill any of the primary responsibilities of a central player it's actually the similar criticism with Otto porter so i mean i'm sure there are some teams that would be fine giving up a late first for it just because he's better than a lot of the guys that you can he's better than the guys you can get at that range and that the money isn't as much of an opportunity cost but then there are other teams they're just going to say hey we're not going to add 20 million to our books just because this guy is good i mean he's going to be properly paid that's while this restrictive free agency could be a little bit different he's at least moving close 
closer to that than he is right now do you think he has any kind of superstar upside at all not really i think that while he's athletic that athleticism doesn't really translate into the elements that are required for a superstar he isn't this huge yeah. defender i mean the way i guess that what about what about even just like a low-end all-star i mean you could come to i could an see him making that, an all-star yeah. game sure i yeah. could see him making an all-star game but like i my instinct is that he's probably more like the third best guy on a very good team rather than the second best guy on a very good team yeah no i mean it is worth having someone who's just a good player and is properly paid on the, on his contract right i mean that 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 is worth something i would say more than than a late first i mean i think if i'm the magic as of right now i wouldn't trade him for less than a pick that has some potential lottery upside i, I think that would or maybe you know nobody trades two first round picks in the same transaction anymore but you know or a lower end first and a guy who could conceivably develop into a starter someday that might be what i'd look at it and you know maybe they just feel like that there's just value in hey you know what? we're in salary cap hell right now adding another 20 million dollar a year contract is just the last thing that we want to do we need some more flexibility we have to and now of course the fact that the tanking rules are going to change next year could be a part of the calculation for them as well but you know, i'm a little bit higher on him than you are i think you know if he could be a guy who hits in the mid to high 30s on three pointers is be one of the best transition players in the league as a finisher and a guy who can guard one through four maybe even one through five at times if he fills out uh, you know he's not there yet obviously i mean he's been on the number 29 defense and he hasn't been able to have that grave an effect yet but on another team and another culture as well i mean this is uh, magic team has been one of the worst places for development over the last four or five years i, I think that's probably what it would take for me as, as the magic but i would also totally understand if they're just like you know what? we don't want to play pay this guy an enormous salary like let's get what we can for him as long as what you can get for him is i mean i think if it's a, just a late first that's not enough to me and maybe that's not what you're saying but uh, that's that that wouldn't i wouldn't do it for that i'm not sure that i would now it's actually changed with this because the market could just soften and if the market softens i don't see aaron gordon as a guy off the top of my head who would take the qualifying offer that's going to be just such a huge downgrade and and his risk is is there i mean while we think of of what he could be that's a lot to leave on the table i wanted to throw two unusual teams at you with him that i've been like kind of thinking about oh well this would be an interesting idea first one is the jazz yeah i I mean that that's why i'd be a little worried if i were them because maybe not what he is now but what he could be there is a fit for that on nearly every team in the league a modern combo forward who can switch down and you know has a a modicum of offensive skill you know that's a a pretty darn valuable player so the jazz could certainly use a a player like him and there are a lot of teams that don't have a a player like him that's the he's the type of player that everyone wants and especially if Otto Porter who has a lot less defensive potential than he does obviously a better shooter uh could get a max you know I mean just think of a team like and there might even be some teams that would see him as a three god forbid if if that were the case then you're really opening up the market I obviously don't see him that way but there might be some teams that would or just say there aren't any threes and he's the best we can do so I think of all the restricted free agents this year he's probably the guy who theoretically fits in I I mean I, I have him ranked as the top restricted free agent on the board 
for this year other than Nikola Jokic assuming that the Nuggets decline its option uh, w- would you agree with that yeah I think so it's it's really not a strong class I mean Rodney Hood is has not really borne it out and then with Jabari Jabari could absolutely jump into this conversation if he has a really nice time but two ACL injuries is is definitely concerning yeah. so he he's and, and there's to, Clint Capella, oh, and Clint there's Capella. Nurkic as well oh, that, and, I, I think Nurkic is the other well one I wanted to talk with you yeah. about so if you were Portland and the markets for those two gentlemen are going to be very different because of the positions they play and the roles they have would you rather be paying Aaron Gordon and then just finding a center than paying Yusuf Nurkic and trying to find a forward oh of course easily there's no question about that so like that I mean so if if Orlando is trying to get off of it I mean there are some moves you could make between those two teams just because they have guys who can actually play like I mean if they could do a Harkless return there are a couple other ways they could do it and even if Portland I, I think it would be a, a great move for them to just try both guys and just hope that both of them get underpaid and see where it goes from there and understand that you might be losing them for nothing but I, I would assume that would be more likely with Nurkic than Gordon but that's the type of thing I if I were Olshay I would seriously consider well, I, I I don't think they have the ammo to get them, and, and they're also trying to get out of the tax for this year as well. Um, so yeah, no, that that would be something that would surprise me. Maybe yeah, I, I can't say that I see a realistic path for him to get there. To be honest, but I mean, I don't, what, what package were you thinking? Their own first round pick would be the centerpiece of it. They could do Harkless and maybe take on. I don't think they could take on a disastrous contract, but they could structure that in a way to to take on something like maybe even like Augustine or something like that depending on how if they think they're going to get Napier back and you know something something kind of in that range so you're getting a little bit of a salary benefit you're getting a first round pick they have some seconds they could throw in something in that range I think that's probably not enough for you to give him up but it's I I think that's interesting and I'm not sure any team's going to really super like a best that offer clearly you know that it's more kind of a if and if that and you could say if that's the range that it is I don't want to make a move but the other thing too to remember is Aaron Gordon right now is all this team has to show for five years of pain since they traded away Dwight and that's really it right as someone who can be a part of your future I mean Peyton you know I don't think we have time to talk about him but you know he I don't think anyone views him as the slam dunk point guard of the future so you're gonna tell your fan base the one guy that we've been watching these last five years is even exciting and that gives us some kind of potential we're gonna trade him away for just some mid first round pick I mean that's that's a tough pill to swallow and in addition to the fact that I don't I think he's worth more than that as well to me um but i think just from a pr standpoint i mean you can only go so far with these types of moves if the alternative though is paying him that money and basically having no flexibility for three more years if not more depending on what alfred payton gets i mean is that really a more desirable alternative having your fan base be unhappy with you until you get better is probably better than not being able to improve well i mean i I don't think that he necessarily consigns them to having no flexibility i mean as of right now in the summer of 2019 they actually Actually, with Vucevic expiring, Terrence Ross expiring, uh, DJ Augustine would mercifully be in the last year. His deal, John Simmons is nine guaranteed. They can even if they brought Gordon in for another twenty million, they would have flexibility for that summer. So, I, and and then Biombo would expire after that too. I mean, I think they're that adding in Gordon, especially when you consider like you know flexibility in the summer of twenty nineteen. There's a lot of teams that are going to have twenty nineteen cap space and they're going to suck again next year, most likely. So, are you really going to do any? better with your 20 million that year than bringing in Aaron Gordon uh, certainly their recent history in free agency would suggest no 
Well, that was so, a different front office. Yeah. I mean, and I think maybe that's ultimately too why I think he ends up just you know, they end up just resigning him. It's just you know the, the opportunity cost is not that high for him at twenty million a year, even if you're and you know he could still be tradable on that contract as well. I mean, maybe that's part of the appeal too is maybe you sign him to a discount and then you can trade him uh, maybe for more than you could right now. I think they'll certainly listen if they get bowled over. If there's a team that's just so into him, I, I think you can make the move. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't anticipate it ultimately is my thought there but you know i i mean we i think we just see his potential a, a little bit differently so uh all right i think that that'll do it for today that was a, that went longer than i thought it would but hopefully <laughs> uh the magic fans enjoyed us discussing something other than uh, how bad the team has been uh, on the court this year um thanks again to our sponsors today sherry's berries slash pro flowers berries.com use that cat space code to get 20 percent off uh, that combo of flowers uh, and dip strawberries and draft cat space code gets you a free entry into your first draft uh, with your first deposit uh can i promote some stuff before we finish oh yes of I- i've course. been doing some writing uh so <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote uh, a Blake Griffin piece, which is similar to what we talked about on the podcast, which came out on Tuesday morning. That is on the Sporting News. I'm writing an off-season or a trade deadline preview for the Sixers, which is a, a, an interesting situation just in terms of what they prioritize, which is kind of the table I set for that. That'll be at The Athletic on Wednesday morning. I also have a piece about the Warriors, theoretically, like what the benefits and costs would be of trading Nick Young that's coming out for the, the Athletic Bay Area. And then I should... I I'm hoping to have the time tomorrow to, assuming another trade doesn't happen, to edit the uh, Real Jam Radio with Jonathan Gavoni, which I think people will enjoy because we not we not only talked about the guys this time, but his kind of his process for what he chooses to cover and how he evaluates talent. And I thought that, you know, it's kind of the conversation like you and I would, would have sometimes, but with him, with his life, was I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, looking forward to listening to that one. All right, we'll talk to you all tomorrow. I'll actually do a gamer uh, for once, though we've kind of been shrinking them in a, a little bit here for tomorrow and finish up of course uh is 50 and 60 sorry it's taking us so long but hey this league never stops so we we figured we'll hit you with the news the 15 and 60 uh can wait we'll have plenty of time for that once the trade deadline is over we will talk to you all next time till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.